All right, 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. Trust you had a good prayer time. And I know we'll take this list with us and be praying for one another throughout the week. I'll also email it out, uh, Lord willing, tomorrow. And it'll be available online as well for those who would like to use it that way. And maybe refer to it from time to time on our phones or on our computers. But we are going to take some time. I know the majority of last year on Wednesday nights, I worked through a series on Bible characters. We're going to open this year with a series on godly motives. And we'll look at what we often think of as the primary motive, and rightly so, the glory of God. This is often designated as the primary motive, the number one motive for why we do what we do why we live the way we live, and of course this is a, uh, if you want to get into all the priorities of motives, uh, this would certainly be number one, but we want to glorify the Lord in all that we say and do. It has stated so much, this phrase is used so much that if we're not careful, this can almost become a rote memory type of thing that just comes off of our lips that we just say because it's expected. It's something that we all know is the right thing to say, but do we really live it? Uh, We are going to be judged one day. We are going to be held into account for why we do what we do. It's not just what, and we are in a performance-based society, and we often I have lists. I know I like to have lists and to work off lists and to check the list. And if you're like me, I've been guilty of writing something on my list after I got it done just so I could mark it off and say I did it. Because it was supposed to be on my list, but I remembered it later. So I went back and I wrote it on there and checked it off just for that satisfaction, right? And we can uh, become very busy in marking off lists, and we should be hard workers, and we should be doing Uh, our very best to be productive, but ultimately we are to do all to the glory of God. And that's where we come to in 1 Corinthians 10, in verse 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. We probably have that verse memorized. If you've ever been to the Wilds Christian Camp, you say this before every meal. And I know that there are some who will stand there and they'll kind of roll their eyes and they'll kind of mumble the phrase, but I understand why they do what they do. I understand why they have us say that before each meal. And I never want us to consider this particular motive as trite or trivial or this particular phrase as just something we say, just because. I want it to be something that's real and for the year 2024 that it is at the top of our motives for why we do what we do. And it's, this is scriptural. This is right out of the word of God. This is the very word of God in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 that says, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. So even the most trivial tasks, even the most basic, routine, dutiful, day-to-day tasks, eating, drinking, the most basic necessities of life, all are to be done 
for the glory of God. But sometimes we overcomplicate the Christian life. And if you want to follow along in the outline, it is there in the prayer list. And I have several blanks if that will help as we work our way through this Bible study. But we overcomplicate the Christian life sometimes. We have lists. We have formulas. I don't know about you, but if you ever get online and you look at some of the Christian help uh, websites, uh, there's, there's a couple of them out there, and it's just one list after another. 40 days to this, 40 ways to seven. And I'll, I'll sometimes use a list of seven or ten or, or, or whatever. But we, we, we shouldn't reduce the Christian life down to just formulas. And we have formulas in math, we have formulas in science, and yes, they are necessary in order to teach us thinking skills, how to solve problems, to actually solve a problem, to get an answer, to be able to achieve something, to accomplish something, to get something done, for the right reaction, for the right answer, whatever. Formulas are, are needed and they're necessary, but we can't reduce the Christian life down to seven steps to this and ten steps to that and forty days to this. The Christian life is more than just a bunch of formulas and lists. And so sometimes I think we overcomplicate the Christian life with all those different lists. And a lot of good, well-meaning people and websites, and I'll just go ahead and mention there's some very, very good motivational speakers that are good Christian people. But that's a lot of what they do. <laughs> you pick up their books, and they have a lot of good practical advice, and many, much of it is going to be at least loosely, if not well based on Scripture, not condemning those men and those motivational speakers, but a preacher is not a motivational speaker. A pastor is not a motivational speaker. Preaching is to be much more than motivational speaking. It's not to just be reduced to that, nor am I just up here to say yay raw and be a cheerleader for, for God and to get you all into some sort of pep rally and get you all excited to go out and do whatever you need to do for the Lord. My, my role and responsibility as a shepherd is not to be a cheerleader, to be the captain of the cheerleading team. All right, Motivational Preaching sometimes gets caught up in all of these seven ways and ten ways and lists and all that. When we overcomplicate the Christian life, we begin to fog up, to cloud the real heart motivation. Am I just doing this to check the numbers on the list, to get the seven steps to complete the formula, to balance the equation, to get the right answer. Now I've pleased the Lord. I've accomplished. I've done it. I've, and I'm a, again, I'm a list kind of guy. And I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And it gets in my way. I have some OCs. And I have to be careful. I mean, this is an area that God has, and I'm not, He's not done working with me on this. But I can get into modes of lists and formulas and strategies in getting the Christian life into this series of boxes that we check. And it 
can very quickly become very dutiful, very robotic. We can live off the props. It can become very external, and we can lose the heart. And we have to remember that God is after the heart. And the glory of the Lord, for that to really truly be our number one motive, means it has to come from our hearts. So what does it really mean to glorify the Lord? It means to reveal, to make clear in its most basic definition. Some people have even uh, tried to explain the glory of the Lord as if you take a particular exceptional athlete, exceptional musician, an an exceptional writer, speaker, you think of them and you think of their particular ability in whatever sport. You think of a particular great work of arts or a great speech or a great book. And that work of art, that game, that particular skill, that particular speech or book, whatever it might have been, it was their greatest work. And it reveals their greatest ability in whatever area of skill or expertise that they have. Well, God is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He's holy and he's greatest in all of his characteristics, all the time, in every way. (laughs) We have good days and we have bad days. We have good games and we have bad games. We have good days at work and bad days at work. We have good days at school, bad days at school. I've never preached a bad sermon in my life. No, I'm just joking, just joking. I've preached some duds, believe me. I have preached some duds. I I strive not to, but I have bad sermons and good sermons. I hope they're not bad and, you know, bad theology. I don't ever want to do that. But, you know, what I'm saying is we have our ups and downs. We have our good and our bad days and all that. We have all those ebbs and flows. Does God ever have a bad day? (laughs) No. He's always at the peak of his characteristics, at the height of the fullest of his glory, in every characteristic, all the time, in every way. <laughs> it's unbelievable for us to, it's hard for us to even possibly imagine. So we are, by living for the glory of the Lord, we are revealing, we are making clear who God is, his attributes. And we were created For this express purpose, to show, to reveal God more clearly to others. Salt, light, we often use those analogies. But we are to be reflecting who God is, revealing who God is, showing who God is. Not to bring offense to the name of Christ. Not to cloud up or to fog up the realities, the truths who God is because of our sin, because of our lack of testimony. The secular world idolizes mankind, magnifies the pleasure of man, and promotes the worship of self. That is obvious. We talked about this even on Sunday as we were looking at James 4 and the emphasis there on humility. And we know that we do not live in a humble world. We do not live in a society that exalts humility. I was reminded, even in my study, that 
the, I believe it was the Greek language, Roman world, but Greek language, didn't have a word for humility. I believe it was the uh, word of God, the, the revelation of God that took the Greek language and actually formed with the inspiration of God and the Bible authors actually took uh, words of the Greek language and formed the word humility because it was not even a word that was available within the Greek language because it was such a, it was considered a, such a bad thing. Humility was considered such a bad thing. No one wants to be humble. <laughs> Who would ever want to, 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 to be that? Um, but you see the heart of man, selfish at, a, at his roots, our, our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked, but we're just downright selfish. So the world idolizes man, magnifies the pleasure of man, promotes the worship of self, and all the covetousness and all the materialism and all that goes with that. But every act of life for the believer should be done to the glory of God. So, what glorifies the Lord? Well, in, in one particular area of, of understanding the glory of the Lord, we just simply understand it as spiritual fruits. Spiritual fruitfulness. John 15, in verse number 8. John 15, this is the account where Jesus says, I am the true vine, ye are the branches. And down in verse 8 of John 15, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. So glorifying the Lord involves spiritual fruitfulness. All the glory for that spiritual fruit that God enables and allows us to produce is by his grace, and for his glory. We have such a good God who by his grace saves us and then by his grace enables us to serve him and then desires to reward us for the fruit that we can only produce by his grace. And we don't deserve any of it. But he desires for us to bear much fruit and for that fruit to remain so let's continue in understanding what spiritual fruit is. Well, we can go throughout Scripture and we can see several. I believe there are five that I listed here in the outline, in the, the notes. Godly character, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, meekness, temperance, faithfulness, the virtues of 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8, where we're to add to our faith. And we see that there in Verses 5 through 8 of 2 Peter 1, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, temperance patience, to patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the fruit of the Holy Spirit flowing from our personalities and disposition into our relationships but also good works. This is obedience, obeying the, the commands, the principles, trusting the promises of God, and doing so with the right motive. 
Wish we had time to go to Matthew 7 and talk about by their fruits ye shall know them. There's the, the mentioning of good fruit and bad fruit. John 15 that we just referred to and we read verse 8. But the whole passage, uh, if we had time to, to read through, he talks about abiding in him. And he talks about his words abiding in us. And then he comes down to verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. We show our discipleship by our fruit bearing. And the measure of our discipleship, the productivity in a sense of our discipleship, the degree of our discipleship, the faithfulness of our discipleship manifests itself in that fruitfulness of good works. Good works don't save us, but they are the evidence of our salvation. They're the product of our salvation and of the sanctified life as we live in that progressive sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ, becoming what we are in, in progress, progressing and becoming what we already are positionally in Christ. And then Romans 6 and verse 22, Romans 6 and verse 22 even refers to this fruit of holiness. Romans 6 and verse 22, but now being made free from sin, and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness. So holiness, in the same category as good works, is a spiritual fruit. Christ-likeness is spiritual fruit. Godly influence. We could talk about the influence of a godly individual upon his or her family, children, multiple generations, his or her church, those who God puts into our lives that we have influenced, do we influence them for Christ? That is part of our spiritual fruitfulness. Romans 1 and verse number 13, Paul talks about the, the Romans. Romans 1 and verse 13. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also. Paul wasn't being arrogant, wasn't bragging. He, he was just referring to the fact that he wanted God working in him to have a godly influence upon those individuals, those people at the church at Rome, and having seen some of those individuals saved under his ministry, no doubt, he wanted to see more saved. So we could even talk about people getting saved as a result of our testimony, our influence our evangelization, our witness, that is fruit. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 11. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous nevertheless afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. James 3 in verse 18, James 3 and verse 18, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Godly influence. How about praise and worship? We worship God in spirit and in truth, and from the right heart and according to the truth. Hebrews 13 and verse 15, the fruit of our lips, bringing praise to the Lord. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. 
Gratefulness, thanksgiving, praise to the Lord is a spiritual fruit. And then James 5, verses 7 and 8. James 5, verses 7 and 8. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband, when waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain, be also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. There's a spiritual fruitfulness in endurance, in patience, in waiting faithfully for the Lord, and through trials, and through tribulations. And no doubt Job bore some spiritual fruit, didn't he? As he went through... Tremendous trials, but did so with faithfulness and patiently. We don't have time to go into all the different crowns. So we see good works glorify the Lord. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Consistent praise glorifies the Lord. Psalm 22 and verse 23. Psalm 22 and verse 23. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him, all ye the seed of Jacob. Glorify him and fear him, all ye seed of Israel. Generous giving. 1 Chronicles 16 and verse 29. We worship the Lord even through our giving. Sometimes I will mention that before in offering about the fact that even our giving. I know it's hard for us to think of it, but... When we sit down, maybe you give online and you type in tithe.ly and you set up your account and you push that button and you transfer the money or you put it on a credit card and whatever. That is worship. Giving is worship. We give and we pass the plate. Giving is worship. And we, we see that in First Chronicles 16. And I'm having a hard time getting to the passage. I should have, should have marked it better in my, my Bible here. First Chronicles 16. And verse 29, 1 Chronicles 6, 16 and verse 29. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So what are some earmarks of ministry that are carried out to the glory of God? Very quickly here, excellence. If we do all to the glory of God, then we should do our very best. We should serve the Lord heartily, as unto the Lord, not unto men. So if it's done for the Lord, it should be done to the very best of our ability. Now, again, I have a bit of a perfectionism in me, and that can get in my way sometimes. It doesn't mean that we have to be absolutely 100% perfect because we're fallen men, women, sinners. We're going to make mistakes. We're not going to be able to be 100% holy in every way all the time. <laughs> we're, we're striving for that. That's the standard, be holy as I am holy. But shouldn't we put forth our best effort? One of the things that we, we talk about sometimes in deacons meetings, we talked about it last month in our last deacons meeting. We want the building to look nice. We take care of the parking lot. We're putting paint on the walls. We fixed up the restroom. There's things, we, we want a good carpet. We have people come in and clean. We want the trash taken out. We... We want this building to be presentable. We want our work at our jobs to be done to the very best of our ability to the glory of the Lord. We shouldn't be sloppy, showing up late, doing half-hearted work. We should be putting forth our best effort, checking in with the boss, making sure we've done the job right, following through. Initiative. Isn't initiative one of the hardest things to teach? If you see a job to do, what should you do? 
Just do it. Don't wait for somebody to come along and say, do it. Find something to do. If you have some downtime, get busy. Find something to do. Find a way to improve, to serve, to help, to make things better. In every way, we should strive for excellence. I, I'm not, uh, I don't want to get too carried away here, but one of the things that I appreciated so much, as much as being on custodial at college was sometimes a pain, one of the things that I appreciated was the striving for excellence. It was, it was promoted big time. Sometimes I felt like it was a little too much. But I, I was thankful that there was a desire to keep the bathrooms clean, to keep the floors looking nice. My wife shop, shops over here at Maurice's. They have the biggest stains on their carpets of any place I can think of in the mall. I just want to go in there and tell Maurice, put a little bit of money into your carpet. Why would you have so many big stains that just, you know, I walk into a grocery store to this day, walk into Walmart, walk into a store, and the floors are shiny, and I'm like, yes. What, that makes a great impression. You walk in, the floors are dirty, people are going to say, this, this, this place is dirty, it's filthy. It may be clean everywhere else, but there's messes on the floor, the floor's not shiny. Why do they have those robotic Machines going around shining the floors because they know it makes an impression. It makes a difference. If people walked up to our front door and there were holes in the glass and cracks and there were leaves and all kinds of things on the floor, on the carpet, and leaves all up against the front door, what would people think of our church? Well, they don't care about their church. What do they think about their God? Excellence. I could go on and on. I'm getting carried away. Integrity. We should live with integrity. That, 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 that is... That is obvious. If we are living for the glory of the Lord, then our lives should reflect who he is, the characteristics, the spiritual fruit that we talked about. What about the details? Do the little things matter? Do you change your oil in your car? Does a little thing matter? Do you, I got to go and I got to scrub the battery cable on Kelly's, Kelly's, on Emily's car before she goes back to college. There's a little bit of corrosion on the positive side. I get that. Does that little detail matter? Oh, it's just a battery cable. Does that matter? I mean, we can go on and on. I mean, that's just a car. I mean, your workplace. Do you, do you, you ever had an English teacher that was just a ruthless t- dot every I, cross every T? I'm thankful I had some teachers like that. Taught me when you're writing an email, when you're writing a letter, when you're communicating to do so well, do so even down to the details. And taking care of even the little things. It's important. And then being willing to be consumed for Christ. He must increase, I must decrease. The, the point there is, yes, we should have a good work ethic. A hard work ethic. But we should also have a good work ethic and a good servant ethic. We should be willing to serve. We, I am so thankful for our church over the last month with memorial services and Um, all the other activities and things, our church has been just above and beyond. Meals, being here to serve, helping out, giving up extra time, so many ways in which we have seen our church be servants and to show love and support, even without even anybody asking and calling up, do you need a meal, dropping food off at someone's house. We could go on and on with the examples. Just being a faithful servant of the Lord. And that means, yes, being a hard worker at work, but also being uh, an effective, faithful servant. 
having a good servant ethic as our Lord Jesus Christ exemplified and we read about in Philippians 2. So I hope this has been of help to us tonight. We'll go through uh, several more, Lord willing, on Wednesday nights about our motives. But uh, thank you for being here. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we ask that you will bless your word in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for your people, for bringing us together. Continue, Lord, I pray that you will bless our church as we remain faithful and obedient to you. We thank you, Lord, for what you are doing in our midst. We think of these different ones with special needs. We pray that you'll be with each one. And, uh, Lord, we ask that you will keep us safe as we go home. pray you'll bring us back together, Lord willing, on Sunday to come together again and to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great evening and a great rest of the week. We look forward to seeing you again on Sunday.